Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than up-and-coming Glamorgan wicketkeeper Will Smale. So Will, first things first mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask mate, How's your day been so far? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, great to be um, great to be on. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's not bad. Pretty relaxed. Uh, start of the first week back of training at Glamorgan. Um, starting back hitting balls tomorrow. So looking forward to getting into that. But yeah, just a nice relaxing morning for me so far. Well, sounds like a very nice start to your day. And in terms of that return to training, in terms of return to batting as well, as we spoke about before the podcast started, how exciting of a time of year is this? Obviously, after a very quiet off-season, after a busy season, what's it like getting back into the rhythm, back into the groove and having the bats back in your hand? Yeah, I think I think probably for players, the, mo- the thing that makes it the most exciting is the fact that your first week back hitting balls means you've gone through fitness testing week. Um, so that's quite a nice thing to get that out of the way last week. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back hitting. Um I haven't picked up a bat since I think it was mid-September last game of the year, which was against Sussex second eleven, which was a, a bit of a well, I think a bit of a thrashing is an understatement for for us. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. A um, couple of sessions a week, just try and get back in the swing of things before Christmas, before it gets before it gets really full on after that um, in pre-season starts. Absolutely, it comes by very quickly, doesn't it? It's like we're talking about the off-season now, and then in a blink of an eye, all of a sudden it's March. It's April. Yeah, exactly. It's getting back underway, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, you know, suddenly, I'm not exactly sure how long it is until Christmas, to be honest, but it, it is, it's not too long. So, um, yeah, and, and everything some of the more exper- experienced boys in the squad have said to me is as soon as, you know, you come back from Christmas, you see those sort of guys' game faces are on suddenly, and it's full focus to... To being ready to go for yeah what's sort of the end of march normally now in in county cricket terms for pre-season games here and obviously if you go away it's probably the start of march so so yeah it's not long at all it really isn't and yeah it's interesting mentioning christmas always a strange time of year on the podcast when we talk about christmas as of this recording around 40 days 42 43 days where i think right recording this yeah. on the 13th of november for those who aren't aware as to when this is being recorded but yeah not long at all and then as you mentioned the new year comes by all of a sudden it's 2024 it's march it's april the season's back yeah. underway which obviously yeah. we love here at the podcast but it's obviously a different pressure if you're out there playing instead of talking about the wonderful world of county <laughs> cricket and in terms of our discussion today for those who are maybe new to how we operate here at the Counter Cricket Podcast, essentially today is a nice laid-back chat between myself and Will about his cricketing story. And like all good stories, Will, we have to start at the beginning of the Will Smale cricketing journey. So in terms of your first ever memories of cricket, what can you remember about playing the game in those early years? What would you say are your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply magnificent game um it probably would have been playing to be honest so um my boyhood club growing up at my junior club was newport um i probably played there from about i want to say quite young probably about 
seven, six, seven, something like that. I got into cricket very early um, through my grandpa, um, who played a pretty decent level of cricket himself and was um, quite a high-level coach. Um, growing up, that was a very good thing. Now, still think, you know, still being a very high-level coach, he likes to tell me what I'm doing right and wrong, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. Um, but yeah, that's how I sort of ended up getting into it through him. Uh, and then, yeah, played for Newport, played for Newport until I was 17. Um, so spent about 10 years there. And through that time, I uh, played for Wales from uh, when I was 10. Um, so played Wales stuff from 10. And in, in in Wales then at that age time, you, well, at that time, it's, it's slightly changed now. It's gone to like regional stuff now. But when I was younger, it was sort of done in your county. So um, I'm from Newport, so that was in the county of Gwent. Uh, and then you, you sort of played against other local counties in Wales. Um, so I played that and that was up until under 15s. Uh, and then, yeah, so Wales age groups from under 11s to, to under 17s was throughout my time at Newport, really. Goodness me, it's a lovely pathway into the game then. So it was very much through your local club and you mentioned your granddad's. Will, I'll let you say his name because I've already got it in front of me. We do our research yeah. here at the podcast, but your granddad is a very, very familiar name to anybody associated with cricket in South Wales. So just for those who don't know, first and foremost, who is your granddad and just how big of a role, how big of an influence has he had on your cricketing journey? Yeah, Malcolm Price, um, for anyone who might know him, um, he, well, he ultimately got me into cricket. I probably wouldn't play cricket if it wasn't for him. Um, there's absolutely no cricket involved in my dad's side of the family. Um, and my mum never played cricket, but obviously Malcolm's her dad and sort of got me into it. And my uncle was quite a good cricketer as well. So it's so all through that side of the family. I would, yeah, never have played it if it hadn't been for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, before, before my time, really, he was... Um, a pretty influential coach, I'd say, around South Wales. Um, a lot of the clubs, I sort of get it quite a lot when I go and see or play against um, some other guys. Uh, they're always like, "Oh, you, you know, your grandpa taught me, taught me to play, and taught me to do this." And yeah, he, he. I mean, every game I play, he'll try and watch. Um, I mean, live MV play has been a bit of a revelation for him when he can't get to games, so he just sits there on his iPad and watches back every mistake I make or everything I do good and yeah I'll, I'll give him a ring pretty much after every day's play to be honest and see how he is and see what he thought see what he thinks and and yeah it's I mean he he's yeah he's the reason I play cricket really um I, I can't I can't really say anything else there are a few other sports I played growing up um not that I was probably good enough to make any of those my job but yeah he's definitely the reason I'm I'm, I'm a cricketer. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I do think we need to just give a big shout out then to Malcolm in terms of the influence he's had on both your journey, Will, and of course on, on plenty of cricketers in South Wales. As I said, I just felt like we had to bring it up because his name has appeared actually on this podcast before. So shout out to Malcolm Price and all of the great work that he's done for cricket in South Wales. And in terms of those early years then, Will, you mentioned about playing other sports. I'm guessing rugby, football, you're also a keen golfer. So I'm guessing that was also in there in those formative years as well. But in terms of cricket, what was it about this wonderful sports which made you think, 
I can make this my job one day. What was it that was so special about the game of cricket itself that made you want to pursue this as a career path? Um, yeah, I mean, being Welsh, obviously, obviously everyone's like rugby straight away. Um, I played rugby a bit at school, but then suddenly realised that I wasn't big and strong enough and good enough to keep competing. So bin that off as quickly as I could, as I saw blokes getting injured around me, I was like, well, I need to get myself out of here. I'm not good enough for this. Um, and then I was okay footballer. I mean, if any of the Glamorgan boys hear this podcast, they'll say you're not an okay footballer, but um, let's just say I'll, I'll rate myself as an okay footballer. Um, so yeah, the sport growing up for me really that competed with cricket was tennis. Um, my mum was quite a good tennis player. She sort of got me into it. Um, and yeah, I played tennis to a, a decent level. Um, but I think the th- tennis is probably quite a good grounding for me actually, because it's a pretty brutal sport. Like, to make it in tennis is you've got to be so good at such a young age. And um, I knew I was never going to make it. I was never good enough to make it as a tennis player, but I think what excited me about cricket was the sort of team element of it. The the fact that you're always around people. Okay. At times, you know, if you're out there batting, it's you and your mate, or sometimes even just you fighting against the opposition. But I think, yeah, I just enjoyed the fact that I could, be around other people, have that enjoyment side of it. Whereas tennis as a sport growing up, you, you know, you're very much on your own. You're on the road all the time going to different tournaments. And it's like, I, I just, yeah, I love cricket. And probably the fact that my grandpa kept saying to me, it's the sport I should be playing. But yeah, I I, I just think that excites me. Um, I still love that aspect of it, that that sort of team aspect of it. And, and the fact that, you know, even even if you don't perform your best, you, you still can get a massive enjoyment out of the game that you're, you're playing in. Um, because, you know, I, I'm, as most people will say, and most sports people will say, I, I hate losing. I absolutely hate it. I, I also hate failing myself, but it happens regularly all the time. Um, but if you, you know, that feeling of knowing if you're not going to perform yourself, but you can still win games and, win trophies is yeah it's something that's that's pretty pretty nice it certainly is and it's definitely a sentiment which is echoed by so many cricketers on this podcast and i'm really glad that you mentioned tennis in particular because that's a very interesting almost companion sport with cricket not just in terms of the the individual nature of playing tennis which can prepare you quite well for life as a batter but also the technique because I always love bringing this up, but I think back to some batting masterclasses from the likes of A.B. de Villiers and Kevin Peterson, and they mentioned about the sweep shot in particular. It's like the front hands and the backhand in tennis. So I just wondered, Will, do you think that your, your days in tennis have not only helped you in terms of the, the mental aspects of cricket, but maybe also in terms of the, the technical side as well? How do you view that symbiotic relationship between tennis and cricket? Yeah, massively. Um... I probably shouldn't out myself on here, but I, I'm, I am a big sweeper. I sweep a lot. Um, and so growing up, my main sport was tennis and then I dropped that off and I actually took up hockey. So tennis and hockey have been my two main sports growing up. Um, and I know everyone goes on about hockey being a massive benefit, which it absolutely is. I stopped playing hockey last winter, um, just through a couple of injuries and I've actually picked up a tennis racket again. Now it's from back playing tennis, but, uh, yeah, it's 
it, it, massive, massive help. Um, you know, so many. I think tennis is probably a slightly less spoken about one, but I know there's still, you know, there's still some very good tennis players that are cricketers, and I know paddle tennis is coming through now, and every pro cricketer wants to play paddle tennis. It's, um, it's kind of mad, but yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a massive help. Um, not only you know, not only with your hand eye stuff, but just like footwork and things like that. Like it, it, it's a massive help, and then hockey. You know, you talk about the sweep shot and. It, I mean, it basically is hockey and you see the, the best guys in the world do it now. I know I, I'll, I'll throw two names that um, went to the same school as I did in Tom Banton and Josh Butler, both brilliant players of, you know, those sorts of shots and we're both brilliant hockey players. So, yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand. Absolutely. It certainly does. And I'm so glad that we've had this conversation because for any young cricketer out there, it is important to not just specialise in cricket from an early age because other sports are so beneficial. So, for example, I spoke with Rob Keogh on a recent podcast and we spoke about leadership and communication in football. We're speaking right now about the importance of tennis and hockey. You never know just how important these skills are and then it all builds towards your cricket. So once you do specialise, you become a far better cricket player. So really, really sensible in those early days, Will. And in terms of those shots and shot selection, right, before we talk about your journey into county cricket and your time in the provincial competitions in Ireland. In terms of the art of batting, what is your favourite aspect of batting? Is it a case of those sweep shots? Is it a case of smashing big sixes, playing ramp shots? What is it about batting in particular which really captured your imagination and brings you back time and time and time again? Um, oh, That's a difficult question, to be fair. Um, I'd probably say... I'm, especially off off the back of last year, having quite a good quite a good white ball season. Um, yeah, the excitement of you know being able to to play to my strengths and trying to you know prove that my strengths are better than what the bowler's strengths are. You know um, that sort of internal battle within the game sort of excites me. I'd I'd say I'm quite a um, I'd say I'm quite a situational player. I sort of quite like to be in the moment and in the, you know, put under a little bit of pressure. Um, that I, I quite enjoy that as a batter. Um, I almost sometimes need that to sort of get me going a little bit um, because, you know, otherwise I could quite easily get a bit bored and play something soft and get a shouting to from a coach or something. But um, yeah, I'd say that that probably excites me the most with batting, just being in the, in, in the in the battle with the bowler and almost trying to prove yourself as you know and, and drag your team out of a situation I like that answer because we've had a lot of bowlers on this podcast who say completely the same thing just from the different side of the coin which is the battle yeah. between them and the batter at the crease and in terms of your batting will where does that style come from is that something which you've just had naturally from an early age is it something which has been instilled from you in those formative years by your granddad or has it come from almost idolizing other players in world cricket where do you think your batting style and the innovative approach that you display at the crease actually originates from um a little bit of all of them i'd say really i i think at times especially growing up i was quite guilty of maybe 
being the sort of player that looked quite pretty and got a lovely 30 and you're like, okay, this, you know, this kid can really play and then suddenly do something stupid and get out and, and would be like, oh, well, he's not that good, you know, and some other kid would go on and get a hundred and they'd be like, well, yeah, he's a brilliant player. And um, that probably like cost me a little bit growing up, getting into, you know, things that other players on this podcast would have been on like Bunbury's and Super Fours and, um county academies and things like that that you know in a way that probably did cost me like weight of runs i probably looked quite a nice player but never you know did it enough um where and i think you know age and a bit of maturities helped me a little bit there in in, in being able to somewhat rein myself back in and build an innings a little bit better but i think in the in sort of white ball stuff now and the way i go about it it's just I don't really know how I got into wanting to play, you know, more shots like, you know, ramps and sweeps and, and, and things like that. It's it's something that I sort of naturally gravitated towards, um, especially especially probably when I went away to school at King's Taunton. I sort of did quite a bit of work on it and just tried to strengthen that side of my game a little bit. Um, and I think the biggest thing about wanting to do things like that and play shots like that for any young cricketer is you just got to have confidence in your own ability and just back it, you know, back yourself to play that shot. You're going to get out doing it and you're going to get out and you, you'll probably look, you know, stupid doing it, but um, you've just got to have complete confidence in what you do. Uh, doesn't really matter who's, who you're up against, just back yourself to do it. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that a lot of coaches recently have sort of tried to instill in me and has really helped me is just, have confidence just go out there and do it um because you will fail but if you're good at it and it's your strength hopefully you'll succeed at it more times than you'll fail at it sort of attitude 100 percent. and i know this is somewhat profound to get into when we're so early on in the podcast we've not even spoken about your county journey so far will but i feel like we have to speak about this and that is the the concept and the idea of confidence because in cricket it's so important, isn't it? It's a case of backing yourself to execute those shots because if you don't, you're going to get out. It's as simple as that. If you're afraid to play them, you won't execute them well. So in terms of your confidence, where does that come from in the game of cricket? Uh, I would say, I would say actually going back to the fact of having played quite a few sports growing up, that sort of that competitive edge and that want to not lose and continue to perform to the best of my ability probably gives me that confidence almost to be like, you know, right, I'm I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go and do it. I think as well, probably the fact that I'm, as I mentioned before, I missed out on a lot of the sort of more high level things growing up. Um, that sort of feeling within myself, having gone through a completely different path to a lot of other people to to get to county cricket is um I, i've got to prove myself and i've had to sort of find my own way to get there and i think yeah that 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 feeling of needing to prove yourself and that's just given me confidence to sort of say right you know what this is how i'm going to do it i'm, I'm going to do it this way and if it comes off it comes off and it's great and if it doesn't well cricket's a brutal sport and it can it can hurt you a lot and then suddenly one day you absolutely love it and 
yes i mean i literally had that this year i i played in i played in a game on the tuesday where i didn't get to bat and was a bit like oh well i i think it was a uni game and i was a bit like oh like why i came went to southampton i was like i didn't even get to bat that's just you know rubbish and then played on the wednesday in a uni game against glamorgan seconds in a in a t20 and i've got a first ball duck and i remember just walking around the ground and i was just like i oh, just hate cricket like it's just it's so difficult it's so brutal because when you fail you you just it, it's one of those sports where there's so many different things that could have happened and gone wrong that you just overthink everything i always think and and i sort of remember saying to myself oh, i'm not going to play I, I, i'm not going to not going to play like a second team game again. I'm not in good enough form. I don't want to do it. That's it. And then two days later, I got called up to a game and got 95 against Somerset. And that was sort of the start of start of getting back, well, getting into the T20 Blast really. So it's a ridiculous sport. Um, even I'm guilty of doing it. As I said earlier in this summer, I was like, oh, I just have a bit of time off. I just, I was a bit stressed out. My dissertation was due that week as well at uni so everything was sort of going on and but yeah it's one of those where you just got to keep believing keep backing keep backing your strengths really i think that's the biggest thing is you just got to keep going back to what you think or you know you're good at um yeah absolutely i think that's some very wise advice actually for any young batters out there you do just have to back yourself it's a tough and unforgiving sport isn't it crickets you've just mentioned there will even at this stage of your career which is very much the early stages, you've still very much experienced that. And in terms of maintaining that even keel out there as a batter, because that is tremendously difficult, as you said, in this game, you have tremendous highs. So those big match-winning centuries, a match-winning catch, a fantastic performance. But then on the flip side, you also have these incredible lows. So a match-defining drop, for example, you might get a duck, or even just losing a match, right? No one likes losing, do they? We're all in this game to win. Win trophies, be successful, carve out a legacy. That's what you want to do as a high-performance and professional athlete. So in terms of maintaining that composure, that even keel, that level-headedness in the game of crickets, how does Will Smale keep a level head in the heat of battle in the game of cricket? Um, It's difficult. It is really difficult, especially as a batter. You know, I always batters will always joke with bowlers about this because bowlers always get another chance nine times out of ten with the next ball and things like that and um every bowler will hate me for saying that but um yeah i think with bat- especially now with like short format cricket and and the growth of that it happens so quickly and you you know you're under so much pressure to impact the game within your first couple of balls that you know you you could easily go on a run of four games inside the space of a week having not got out of single figures and you're just like well I, I don't really know where my next run's coming from but you, as I said before you, you know you've got to you've got to try and keep backing what you do and how you play don't really change don't really change your attitude in it okay you might need to you know I don't know change technical pieces or whatever that's that's causing your downfall slightly but your attitude needs to try and remain as consistent as possible and you're only ever one one innings away from, you know, being back in great form and, you know, getting picked in a higher side or getting picked for a, another level. And um, that, that that's the biggest thing, really, I'd say. Um, it, it is hard. It is hard, especially in white ball cricket. It's just, 
yeah, it feels like things just fly by you and you just have no time to sort of, in some ways it's good because you have no time to think, but it's difficult if you get in a bad run of form game, you know, games come continuously day after day and it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. It certainly is. And again, that's something which is very common when it comes to the professional game. The schedule is brutal at times. It really is. And white ball cricket is great if you can replicate those massive performances and define matches. But it's a very, very volatile format, isn't it? In particular, T20 cricket, because you've got one chance. You don't have much time. I know that there is that cliche saying of, well, you have more time than you think so. But compared to first class match, you really don't have much time in the T20 format. And given the competitive nature of the professional game, the fact that your place is constantly under threats, under scrutiny, on both online and, of course, from your coaches, the playing staff, everyone associated with the club. It's very, very difficult. It really is, but it's something which is shared across the county circuit. And there is help available, isn't there, when you do have those difficult moments? Yeah, I think I think as well, it's one of those games that, especially T20 cricket, you know, when you're in that T20 blast block or, you know, for the better players, you know, more better and more experienced guys than me that go to franchise leagues around the world. You know, the games are so thick and fast that it's brilliant if you find a run of, run of form because you never really feel like you drop out of it. So you go from game to game to game and you're just like, well, I'm still seeing the ball like an absolute beach ball here. I'm flying. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, other times it's, it's really tough because you're in a bad run of form. You know, you want to have a rest day after a game. Then you might really not even have a training day. You might have like a travel day. And, you know, you might get your, your 15, 20 minute net before the start of the game, which is suddenly where you've got to try and turn it around and get in good form and good good touch. So, yeah, it's difficult. I think from what I've seen of some, you know, more experienced and better players in changing rooms, they sort of stick to their processes, go about their, you know, pre-match routines and, and things like that in their, their own specific ways. And I think that's why they're quite consistent in their performances at times. You know, obviously being consistent in short form is quite difficult, but more consistent than others probably. It's just, they're quite methodical, go about everything exactly the same way. And and that, that sort of similarity sometimes sort of transfers into their performance and it gives them a bit more consistency. But yeah, you're right. You know, as as pros, we're at a luxury that we can, you know, we've got good access to training facilities and coaches and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And it's it's harder for your um, recreational cricketer that, you know, might only get one training night a week and go from Saturday to Saturday thinking, oh, cricket's such a slog because I can't get any runs and things like that. And, you know, that is difficult. But, you know, I up until recently, I've really been a club cricketer and, um just, I, I would say, just get in touch with your mate, try and get an extra net, extra hit in. Um, just try and find a love for it again, really. If you enjoy your cricket, you're probably going to perform a bit better. Um, so, yeah, just that that would be my best advice. It's the same as all the pros will say when they're enjoying playing, they'd probably do better. So, so yeah. Well, you do. And it is important to find that enjoyment. And for different people, that comes in different ways, doesn't it? That might be time away from the game. And yeah. realising just how much you do love it, it comes back to that old saying of absence makes the heart grow fonder. But then for yeah. others, it'll be spending more time in the nets. Look at Steve Smith, for example, in the World Cup. Absolutely incredible the amount of effort, 
determination, focus that he displayed. And all of a sudden, he's back to scoring 50. So for different people, it's different. And you've got to find your own approach and your own methods in order to overcome those rough patches and, of course, regain that confidence. But the great thing about cricket is that it's an individual team. It's a team sport played by individuals. I'll get there eventually. It's a team (laughs) sport played by individuals, isn't it? So even though you are very much out there on your own in the middle, and if you're bowling or even as a keeper, you're still surrounded by your mates. There's always someone to listen, always someone to help out. And that is the wonderful thing about this game. You've always got help in the sport of cricket. And in terms of your journey, Will, we've got to touch upon this because if I may say so myself, I think you've got one of the most interesting journeys in the entire circuit right now because we we speak a lot on this podcast about the national counties. We speak a lot about the UCCE scheme or what's formerly the MCCU scheme. We talk about second 11 cricket and we also speak about going to other countries, for example, like Zimbabwe or in your case, Ireland. And in your particular story, you've ticked every single one of those boxes. I don't think that's ever (laughs) happened on the podcast before. So we, we started off by discussing your time in those early years at Newport and your time in the Welsh National County's age group setup. But in terms of your pathway from those early days, how did Will Smale go from playing for Newport Cricket Club to representing Glamorgan? What would you say were the major steps and the major clubs that you played for over the course of that time to reach this destination? Yeah, so I, so the year I left Newport was the year I went away to school for sixth form. So I went to King's College Taunton. Um, some of you may know the name, as I said earlier, through like Joss Butler, Tom Banton, etc. Um, like massively helped me, not only as a cricketer, but as a person in, you know, um, the way things sort of developed. But that year, I also made my National Counties debut for Wales against Cornwall in a three-day match at Usk um, under... Uh, the head coach was Darren Thomas at the time. Um, played against Peter Trigo. That was quite an introduction to National Counties cricket. I mean, um, very sort of, he sort of showed me what professional cricket might be like, um, especially on the field. But then off the field, he was, you know, an exceptional guy and really good guy to chat to. Um, but then, yeah, sort of, as as things sort of rumbled on then I was just getting ready to do my A-levels. I sort of, you know, I was on no counties academy and and sort of was probably at some way in my head thinking, right, I, you know, need to really focus on my A-levels here, go to uni, going to go through the complete uni process, MCCU, and if I can't make it out the back of that, then, you know, I, I'll be getting a, a regular job. And... um I've got an Irish passport through my dad's side of the family. Um, my dad was like, well, look, we're going to, you know, what's what's the harm? We'll ring Ireland and, and see what they say. And it was amazing for me, you know, the the whole part of the whole part of playing for Ireland. Um, I sort of went over and did a few training sessions with them throughout the winter and thought, I, you know, I went over there a bit open-minded, wasn't really sure where I'd fit in and what sort of standard I'd be. Um and I, you know, I was, I honestly was at the sessions thinking, oh, I'm probably not going to get in the Ireland under 19 squad, you know, not really good enough. I'm not dominating it. And then I got a phone call when I was at school from uh, the head coach, who's Ryan Eagleson, who's now their assistant bowling coach. Um, and he just said to me, 
we want you to, uh, you're in our squad for the World Cup qualifiers. And I was just, you know, I was completely shocked. I was like, wow, okay. So the World Cup qualifiers actually in Holland. Um, so we were out in Holland and um, I remember the day before our first game, our first game was against Jersey and we were at this, we were at the ground that England played Netherlands at, actually, I think it was last summer and um, just doing some training. And, and Iggy turned to me and was like, oh, you four that are going into the nets now, you're, you're our top four for tomorrow. And he was like, well, you're batting at four. I was like, wow, okay. I wasn't keeping, I, I was just playing as a batter. And that first game was against Jersey and actually, believe it or not, sat on the, sat on the bench for Jersey was newly signed Glamorgan Pro Acer Tribe. Um, he wasn't playing in that game, but he was sat on the side for Jersey. Um, and I, I made 60 odd in that game uh, and actually had a pretty good competition. I also got a few against the Netherlands as well that week. And then off the back of that, one of our assistant coaches was Ian McGregor. Um, and he was head coach at the Northwest Warriors at the time, which was one of Ireland's first class regions. And he turned to me and said, oh, we've got a vacancy in the wicketkeeping slot for the rest of the summer. Do you fancy it? And I I didn't really know what it entailed and just went, yeah, go on then. Um, so it was amazing. I sort of, you know, for, for a month and a half of the summer, back end of the summer, I sort of didn't really play any club cricket that year just because I was travelling back and forth to to Ireland. So played, I'm not sure how many List A games I played in that first year. I think it might have been two, maybe three. Um, I think I got 49 on in my second or third one. Um, and I also made my first class debut out there against Leinster Lightning. Um, well, I actually got run out for naught, uh, which was an interesting one. I was batting with Will Porterfield at the time, who was still Ireland captain. So understandably, I was the one that got run out and not him, which is definitely the definitely the right way around. And I've seen Purdy a few times now with him being at Gloucestershire and things like that. So we've had a chat about it. We were actually rooming together quite a lot because he was living... Um, in Liverpool and sort of travelling back and forth as well. But it was an amazing experience, um, you know, rubbing shoulders and playing with people like Will Porterfield, Andy McBride, Boyd Rankin, and then against the likes of Paul Sterling, Kevin O'Brien, Andy Barberney, you know, it, it, it was a great experience. It really set me up to, at the time, I, I didn't think I was going to be coming back to the UK, really. I, I didn't think that was going to happen I was very happy with how things were going in Ireland um, I got put on to the senior academy over there um, and then went away to Australia for the winter uh, and had a decent winter over there and then Covid hit and that was sort of the way everything really changed um, I sort of came home from Australia and I was still planning on going back to Ireland at that time um, there was a little bit of change Gary Wilson took over as the head coach at the Northwest at the time. Um, and sort of, I was in contact with him and Ireland started to sort of, uh, I think they made it, they went to four regions at the time. So Munster got added to the Northwest, the Northern Knights, which was Belfast and then Leinster, which was, which was Dublin. Um, and Ireland started to sort of move players around. And um, basically I didn't really, I didn't really still see how easily I fitted in the side and also, you know, COVID just meant travel was very difficult and things like that. So I decided to, to stay here and off the back of um, just some contacts, really, I managed to get, well, I got in touch with Dave Houghton, who was head coach at Derbyshire at the time. Um, 
and got a call from him about going to play a Derbyshire second eleven game and played in that and then ended up playing most of the year for them. I also played a one-off game for Warwickshire that year um, and a game for Gloucestershire, I think, that year. So a few in that year. Um, that was all. So that year I then ended up playing concrete for Ponte de Lice in South Wales, um, which is a great club. I loved it there. Amazing um, like group of people. Uh, and then, yeah, the following year, so um, not the summer, just gone the one before, I actually struggled to get any second team games of cricket at the start of the year. I couldn't really get a game. I was just playing uni cricket, but but couldn't get a second team game. And then I got an opportunity with Somerset to play in a couple of T20s at the end of the year and did quite well in a couple of those T20s and got a few four-day games off the back of it and, and had a pretty good year, actually, with them in Gloucestershire. Uh but still, like, I felt like I'd done quite well and still didn't really see a path into the pro game. Like, there was no real contract talk at that time of, you know, me being ready to go into playing professional cricket. Um, so, yeah, I was then going into my third year at Cardiff Uni. Uh, and I actually had a, quite a bad, like, freak head injury um, last winter, which sort of set me back quite a lot. And actually didn't hit any cricket balls until the middle of January um, and didn't really do any fitness or anything like that. It was, yeah, bit of a bit of a strange winter. Um, but then I, I sort of known Glamorgan had built a slight level of interest back in me after having maybe not been as interested when I was a youngster right here in, in South Wales. Um, and then played in the university games at the start of the year. We beat Glamorgan in a in the three-day university game at the start of the year, which was, well, a quite frankly, ridiculous game of cricket. Um, and then, yeah, just got a run on the side with Glamorgan. Um, didn't really do anything. I mean, I'd be the first to say this year in Red Bull second eleven cricket for me was very average. Um, I had a pretty poor year. But, yeah, originally wasn't in Glamorgan's T20 second 11 like side at the start because they were playing some of their you know first team boys to get them ready for the blast stuff um and played a couple of games for gloucestershire the first one being against glamorgan actually um and then i played against somerset and got got 95 and sort of got called back into the glamorgan stuff um and then got 100 against Northants in the twos as well um and then obviously you know to go on and get my you know make my way into the professional game was pretty amazing but obviously you know Glamorgan had a few injuries at the time and being someone who was doing well in second team cricket sort of gave me that pathway but yeah it's a it's a long long-winded way I mean I I went three and a bit years without playing national counties cricket because I couldn't play because I've been and played first class cricket in in another test nation um or something along that line so yeah I only started playing national counties cricket again this year obviously university cricket for three years um, two of those years, Cardiff were national champions, which is um, quite nice. And then, yeah, club cricket. I mean, I played half a season of club cricket in well, Northern Ireland, up at Coleraine. Um, and then I spent two years at Taunton Dean, which has been brilliant. Um, back down, literally next door to school with a load of schoolmates in, in the West of England Prem, which is, yeah, a, a proper standard, probably similar. Well, no, I don't. I know a lot of boys that play in the Birmingham Prem up your way, so um, I won't say it's a better standard or a worse standard. I, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know till I've played in it. Um, but, yeah, that was brilliant. And then, yeah, 
that's 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 the journey really well as i said beforehand will it's an absolutely incredible journey it really is i don't think we've had one which has ticked all of those boxes which we usually talk about and before we talk about your debut for glamorgan which is the culmination of this spectacular journey into the county circuit and the the payoff for years of dedication in this sport i just wanted to touch upon your experiences in ireland because we, we don't get many opportunities, actually, to talk about the provincial stuff in yeah. Ireland itself. And I, I just found it fascinating, the fact that you made your debuts over there before you did in county cricket. So, as you rightfully said beforehand, you made your first-class debut for the Northwest Warriors. You also made your List Day debut for the same team, scoring 48 on your debut from 71 balls. So, a good way to start. In the fifty, no, I'm not format. sure about the strike rate there. Actually, yeah, <laughs> it was a low-scoring game, though. It was actually a bit of a thriller that game. Um, yeah, I think it. Kept, I think it was like we had a bit of a. I wasn't batting at the time. But it was a bit of a ridiculous last-minute partnership, and I think we lost by like a wicket or something. It was yeah, a pretty unbelievable game actually. That was, but sorry, I've interrupted that. Go on. No, I was just about to to touch upon that myself. It was a two-run loss in the end. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. It was Shane Getkates being the hero for the Northern Knights on that particular occasion. Right. Well, he, he actually now plays for Northwest Warriors, so he's made the switch to the other region. But I think I remember rightly, um, Graham Hume, who actually was a clubmate of mine at Coleraine and has recently made his Ireland debuts, um, actually got quite a few runs in that game, I think, at the back end in the end. I think that might be right. But yeah, I mean, Ireland in general was just, as I said, I, I when I was over there, I never really saw myself coming back because I sort of felt like I'd been here and I now had this great opportunity in Ireland that I was really enjoying um, and playing alongside, as I said, some and training alongside some, you know, very, very good players. Um, and yeah, I, I was enjoying it and doing quite well. And it was, it was a great experience. And obviously, you know, it, it is very different over there. The facilities, you know, you're playing on club grounds and, you know the the pitches aren't as good and, and and things like that, which which obviously makes it slightly harder. And I think I'll put my poor strike rate down to that. That'll be my excuse. Um, but no, it's it, it like this. I mean, when I was over there playing, it was still only three first class regions, um, and the standard was the standard was was strong. You know, you had as as and when they could, because I think people like Paul Sterling and and Andy Balburnie and a few others were still sort of overseasing in in the county game so they were trying to sort of balance both but yeah it was a real it was a really really good experience and really good sort of grounding for me to know what level I needed to get to and 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 be where I wanted to play and at the time as I said I thought that was I need to get to that level to go on and play for Island Wolves which is Island A and then and then the national side um obviously you know in the end hasn't panned out like that but um, yeah, it was a great experience, and the standard the standard over there was was strong. I obviously know a few guys that are over there now that play in the the four team setup. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exactly how I'm not exactly sure how that sort of changed things over there, but I really enjoyed my time over there. It was, it was a great experience, um, and as I said, I, I never really thought I was going to end up end up back over here. See, that's really, really interesting to hear. It really is, Will. And first and foremost, great 
to hear such a, a love for Irish cricket as well. I'm glad they had such a good time over there because, as I said, we don't get much opportunity on this podcast to talk about their first-class setup, and obviously there's massive differences. So in terms of the funding, in terms of the facilities, the grounds, for example. So you made your first-class debut at the Inch, which is the home of, yeah. of North County Cricket Club. It's yeah. a club ground as opposed yeah. to a first-class venue, but it's just brilliant to see the game coming to the forefront in Ireland because it's a very, very exciting time for Irish cricket with the right steps in place. They'll become a major think, player in European cricket. Yeah, I think it's like, obviously, it's been quite well documented, you know, what whether it's been a success or a, a negative since they've, you know, got test match, test match status and their players haven't been able to, you know, play in, in county cricket and things like that. But it is difficult for them. I think, so that, that first-class debut I played, that was the last ever first... That's the most recent first-class game they've played in Ireland. They haven't played one since, and that was at the end of 2019. There's not been a Red Bull first-class game played since that. Um, and I think that is the biggest issue they've got while they still want to play Test cricket, as I think, you know, what a lot of much higher-brow Irish players talk about on TV and in the media all the time. And I think they've got a plan to try and get that back this summer but ultimately the bottom line of that is it just costs a lot of money to stage three-day games at club grounds when you know it, it costs counties a lot of money to play four and four-day cricket and things like that and they've got the facilities there it's yeah it's difficult um but yeah as far as i'm aware that was the last first class game most recent first class game played in ireland which is pretty mad um because I think they've played quite a few test matches since. They've played England a couple of times. They've played Afghanistan. I think Zimbabwe maybe as well. So I sort of feel for them. It's, it, you know, it's very difficult for those players to suddenly compete in test match cricket against sides like England when, you know, even if England maybe aren't putting out their absolute full-strength side, you know, they're, they're putting out a decent side. And, you know, I think the likes of Bairstow, et cetera, and all that played in those games. But, you know, those guys have so much red ball cricket available to them and the island boys are just they just don't play it and essentially probably 90 percent of their training is revolved around white ball cricket probably as it should be you know they want to play in world cups they want to compete in bilateral series in white ball cricket because that's what they mainly play and then yeah to suddenly be thrown in at lords to play against england in front of a packed house it's like well yeah very difficult and obviously, I remember that first test match where I think it was Murta took six for or something like that. That was the that was actually the day we, as an Ireland 19 squad, flew out to the World Cup qualifiers. So we were all watching it in the airport. And obviously, that was, you know, a ridiculous day for Irish cricket, that, that sole day. And obviously, the match didn't quite pan out how they'd have wanted. But there's definitely a real sense of excitement around everything when that was going on. Um, and yeah, obviously quite disappointing I'd say for that year to also be the the last year that they played Red Bull cricket at a first class level over there. Absolutely and something which doesn't help as you alluded to beforehand with the likes of Paul Sterling, Andy Balburnie, the real top players in Irish cricket now have to have overseas player status whereas in years gone by the likes of Will Porterfield, the likes of Boyd Rankin, even the likes of Owen Morgan in the early days at Middlesex used to be domestic qualified. You didn't need to fill up an overseas yeah. slot. So it does make it more difficult. No, I'm just going to say like last summer, you saw 
Curtis Camphor came over and played for Somerset for a bit and did quite well. Harry came over and played for Gloucestershire and Harry Tetter came over for Gloucestershire and did very well as well. So, yeah, it is really difficult. But then the reason it's hard for them to suddenly fill a proper overseas slot for a county is because our seasons overlap, you know, it's and understandably, probably Cricket Ireland want their players playing in their domestic competition to make the standard of the game better and grow the game at home. So, it's it, it, yeah, it's a really hard balance for them, I guess, to whether to expose their better players to a higher standard and probably lower the standard of their own domestic game slightly or, or go the opposite way around. Sorry, yeah, I jumped in. But it, it, is, it is really interesting. It's really difficult for them. But I loved it over there. Yeah, it was a great experience. Will, honestly, mate, no need to apologise. It's a podcast. It's a conversation. <laughs> it's not an interview. We're not We're not structured. This is why I love this platform. We can have these conversations like this, go off topic and just run with it. And as I said, it's a great excuse to talk about Irish cricket and maybe the trials and tribulations of the game over there. Because as we've said, there are some really positive aspects of Irish cricket, but it is a delicate balancing act, isn't it? That is the issue with the game over there at the moment. But I mean, that is a podcast in itself, isn't it? Let's face yeah. it, in terms of yeah. Ireland's test status and the future and all of that good stuff. But no, I'm really glad that we got to talk about that and obviously thrilled that you love your time over there in the provincial competitions. And in terms of your county cricket journey, just getting back to our conversation about Glamorgan, because we've spoken there about the Welsh National Counties. We've spoken about the Northwest Warriors. We've touched upon your time with the Cardiff UCCE and your time with the likes of Derbyshire, Somerset and Warwickshire in the second 11 competition. Let's now talk about your Glamorgan debut because for any cricketer, this is a tremendously special day, isn't it? Walking out onto that field, it's the culmination, it's the product of all of those years of of blood, sweat, tears, all of the cliches which go into the world of professional sport. But in terms of that debut, Walking out onto that field for the very first time as a Glamorgan cricketer, your home county, your boyhood team. What was that day like, Will? And just how special of a moment was that for you to step out onto that field and make your debut as a Glamorgan cricketer? Yeah, pretty um pretty mad to be honest. I obviously Glamorgan being my, you know, local club, I well, many times I probably thought I wouldn't end up playing for Glamorgan having not been on their academy and things growing up and, and things like that as, as a child. So, yeah, that was, I mean, the whole day. So so basically, I actually, I played a game on the Saturday um, for Taunton Dean. It was the local derby against Taunton St. Andrews. So it was, it was a big game. Um, and we won the game, actually. But I got out with like two to win. I, I think I chopped on to like a rank wide, just long hop. Um, and I remember walking off and just being like, oh, how have I just done that? Like, what is going on? Uh, and then we were all sat on the outfield just having a drink and just celebrating a little bit all as a club. Uh, and my phone rang and it was Mark Wallace, who's the director of cricket at Glamorgan. Um, and I was sort of like, oh, well, this either means good news or bad news. And obviously, I'd, I think at the time, the second 11 T20 comp had finished and I'd finished leading run scorer and that and, and had uh, you know my confidence was very high I'd had a, a really really good white ball run of form um and he just ran me and was like are oh, you in the squad for tomorrow against Gloucestershire it was, well he was like what are you doing tomorrow and I was like well I'm actually playing for Wales National Counties against Dorset at Panteg and he just goes no you're not I was like oh he's like yeah you're in the squad I was like oh my just complete like 
complete shock. Um, and on the drive home, it sort of set in that I've obviously spent quite a lot of time in my trialing period with Gloucestershire. Um, and to suddenly be named in my first squad against Gloucestershire on that Sunday was, was pretty mad. So basically, there's a load of ECB requirements to be eligible to play. And I had to have a heart scan before I could play a game. So they were quickly trying to get me a heart scan in on the Sunday morning before the Sunday afternoon game against Gloucestershire. Basically, they couldn't get that heart scan done. So I, I couldn't play in that game. So I was just on the bench watching. Um, and we won the game. And then the, the Surrey game was on the Tuesday after. And I had my heart scan on the Monday. Um, and then we travelled up to Surrey on the Tuesday morning. And I, I think sort of in the back of my head, I sort of had a feeling that I would, was going to play just because we were a couple of batters light. Um, but we'd also just signed Cam Fletcher as like an overseas replacement. So he'd come in um, and we'd obviously just won a game. So I was sort of a bit like, oh, maybe I won't play. Um, and sort of got up there and I actually just walking around i've been to the over once before just to watch my sister actually in the hundred um and then yeah literally found out that i was playing um and just i mean the ovals a pretty spectacular place and i'm not exactly sure how many people were there i i feel like i keep throwing the number of about 13 to fifteen thousand, something like that i don't i don't really know it might be less than that i might be massively over exaggerating there but it felt like a heck of a lot of people put it that way, uh, especially when I was in the field. I mean, that people always say to me, you know, what was it like? And I was like, fielding was, I was, I was petrified. Like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a wicketkeeper by trade, but I'm, I'm an, I'm an, okay, I'm an okay fielder. Like I'm, 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 I'm solid enough. Um, but just in the field, you sort of, you just hear everything and, and the crowd are right on top of you. And it, it really like, that was my first time playing in front of a, a crowd um and i actually misfielded one in front of the members pavilion um a really bad misfield as well and i was like beating myself up and after the game a few of the boys were like good job that was in front of the members i was like yeah i know thanks um but then sort of got settled a little bit i, I think i caught sun on the rhine maybe um and that sort of set me a little bit because you know the old classic when the ball goes up everyone's like Ooh, and i was like oh my god like don't drop this and I caught that but in the field was was really like you just you just heard every bit of noise and then I think it actually helped me a little bit the fact that like the turnaround in T20 you've got 10 minutes between off the field and you're back out there and then that helped me having such a short period of time I just ran off ran up the steps pads on and you're straight back out there and it was just like bang it just happened um but I always say to people like when I was batting I, I generally, I actually couldn't really hear anything. I, I couldn't tell you what was going on just because I was probably so in the zone in the moment of facing the ball that was coming down at me. I, I just didn't really know what else was happening. Um, and as I said earlier, T20 cricket goes by so quickly that it's just like, just flies by. And yeah, I mean, it was an amazing day, just an unbelievable day. Um, it was a late one. We, we finished late at Surrey. Uh, and then drove back to Cardiff that night, actually, because we had a game the next day. So we drove back to Cardiff and it must have been, I don't know, half one, two a.m. in the morning by the time we got back to Cardiff. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, it's a nice thing to have loads of messages on my phone and things when I get it back and speak to loads of different people. But I think I might have been asleep in the on the way back. I, yeah, it was 
yeah, it was, a, it was a special day. It was an unbelievable day. It certainly sounds like it. And in terms of the day itself, what do you say was your favourite moment from that day? Because you were spot on, by the way. It was Sun on the Rhine. So you caught him on 36 and you got to yeah. silence the doubters in the crowd. who thought you would have spilled that one. But <laughs> aside from that catch, obviously you went on to score a quick fire 27 as well from just 16 balls and a couple of the shots in there. The lovely pull shot for six and the ramp against Sean Abbott was, was quite the shot. So in terms of that day and in terms of that occasion, what do you say was the favourite moment from your Glamorgan debut? Um, yeah, I'd have to say the pull shot, I think. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that was my like most special moment. As, yeah, uh, I, I sort of, well, I went out to bat and I think I faced a couple of dot balls off Sam Curran in the first over. I think the first boy bowled to me actually was a wide and I had a really bad thought go through my head of, oh no, that means I can still get a first baller which is a terrible thought to have. Like no batter should ever have that thought, by the way. But I had that thought and I was like, oh my God. And then I had a couple of dots and I then last ball that over, got a drive away off Sam Curran um, for four. And then, and then obviously it was like Sean Abbott at the other end. And I was just like, this is, I'm playing against the international side here. This is IPL all-stars sort of thing. And um I actually remember since I've played that, Callum Taylor, who I've obviously played quite a lot of cricket with, he was watching and he said he turned to a few people and was like, a few people like, oh, God, Wills, you know, might be a bit nervous here. And he just turned around and went, if Smaley scoops, you know, he's fine. He, you know, he's he's fine. And apparently Cal was like, when you didn't scoop Sam Curran in that first over, I was getting a bit like twitchy. And then first ball, Sean Abbott, I went for it and it was just short of the rope. But, yeah, I think the six was just I top edged one off him for four earlier in the over. Um and in that moment you're trying to stay simple to what you know sort of works for you and getting in the right positions to to back yourself. And I will confess, like the six was to the shorter side. It was to the shorter side, but um yeah, I think I got a I got a pretty good piece of it. I I yeah, I I'm pretty happy with that one. Um but yeah, I probably got a bit too carried away. I pulled Gus Atkinson for four as well, and then he gave me a C and two, and that was that was the end of it, really. But yeah, still a special day, though, isn't it? Your Glamorgan yeah. debut, making it such such an iconic venue, and as I said, some lovely shots in there. For those who have not seen it, we did mention this website before, but Envy Play, great website for any cricket badgers. You can watch them all back in their glory if you do find yeah. the highlights, and yeah, yeah, some lovely shots in there to say the least, Welsh should be very, very proud indeed. And in terms of your first season with the Welsh County, how would you summarise your performances in your own words? Because even though you only made your professional debut this season and went on to play a number of T20s, it's still a very special year, isn't it? Because this is your first year as a professional cricketer. I think, like, truthfully, as I said earlier, and in Red Bull cricket in the second team, I, I had a I had a pretty poor year. I you know I, I didn't go on to make any sizable score and was quite disappointed at that probably. Um, and then obviously flip that to white ball cricket, I, I probably had well I had, I had a freak year really. I, I'm not exactly sure what my stats are, but um, without being too overconfident in myself, they were pretty pretty decent 
um, in the they were very good. That. Yeah, that they were very me. good. You scored over four hundred runs in the T20. Yeah, side. that that got me. That got me into the blast. And I think in the blast, I had a few starts. I got, I think, twenty-seven against Surrey and a similar number against Sussex. Um, and sort of, I showed glimpses of what I can do or what I want to do. And I think that the biggest thing I took away from that was the fact that I sort of didn't go into my shell. I just still played the way I'd been playing in the seconds and wanted to go about things. And yeah, sort of maybe playing against Surrey first game and playing against so many big names sort of helped me with that. The fact that it didn't really matter who was bowling at me. I was going to, you know, try and impose myself on the game. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest takeaway. The fact that I was still pretty fearless, still pretty confident, um, just back my own ability to as much, you know, the extent that I could. Um, and then, yeah, it was, you know, I was in all the, all the match day squads for the one day cup and didn't get a game, unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, that was a good experience. And as a whole season, you know, white ball cricket was yeah pretty ridiculous and that sort of stands out for me as being well i mean it's, it's the best it's the best season i've had as a cricketer regardless of what my stats were just on the basis that yeah i've sort of made my hobby as a child my job and obviously yeah i you know came close to doing that in ireland but in ireland it's sort of a semi-pro level you get paid to play unless you're essentially contracted as an international so yeah to now be able to say cricket's my job i've probably have to say that was yeah it's wow it's by far my best season as a cricketer and I'm not surprised by that at all because given the journey given the story which has led up to this moment and this last season to be honest it must be tremendously special and in terms of your family will they must be incredibly proud of both yourself and your sister both professional cricketers at such a young age as well so goodness me at such a young age the pair of you have done very very well to say the least carving out a career in this game, which, as you said, was once a hobby of yours. And just one final thing before we touch upon the future and we talk about 2024 and the years beyond, I suppose. What do you say was the biggest takeaway or the biggest lesson that you learned from your time with Glam in 2023? Is there one particular game or one particular moment which you maybe look back on and say, you know what, this was a real learning opportunity in terms of my cricket development? Um, I'd probably say something along the lines of it's going to sound a little bit cliche probably and I've said it a few times already but always stay positive like always be positive not only in your mindset but in the way you play and and, and sort of stay stay quite true to yourself like if that's how you play play that way um, I think that's that's massively important um, and yeah I think it was an incredible experience for me i I think in the five games I played, I think four of them were against sides that qualified in the T20 Blast, not, you know, suddenly facing, you know, the likes that Surrey had and people like Craig Overton and Tamar Mills and things like that, even though Tamar Mills was only for one ball. So that didn't really, didn't really last too long. But um, yeah, it's just an amazing experience, really. So as I said, with the Ireland stuff being a great sort of grinding for me and experience to, get to the level I want to obviously I've had a taste of it now and seen where you know the the best players are that I got to play against and some of them I get to play with um sort of try and get my level of consistency in my performances to get up to that level is is a pretty big takeaway um and yeah like I said I'm lucky to have 
uh, Glamorgan, I'm lucky to have some very, very good players I can feed off to do that. I mean, we've got probably one of the best keeper batters in the country and Chris Cook at the club, who's, you know, had a brilliant year again last year. Um, Colin Ingram just has wealth of experience as well. And there's there's plenty others. So, and obviously, if I get to meet, well, if, well when, I, when I meet Marnus, when he comes over, I'm sure he'll be spending enough time in the nets that I'll see him on many occasions. So, um, yeah, like, I think that's the biggest thing. Just stay true to yourself, be positive. And, and I, I, my advice would be just try and get any bit of advice or experience out of any, anyone else, especially like, you know, the higher level cricketers, people like, you know, people that have played around the world and played high level, you know, is, is, is really important. It's funny you mention that if you make Marnus, it depends actually. You might be spending too much time in the nets, to be honest. You never well, know yeah, we... it's, yeah, there's a, I mean, I've bumped into him a couple of times, obviously, before I was um, on the staff. So he sort of wouldn't have really known who I was. But I mean, some of the stories about him wanting to hit balls since he's been at the club is just just unbelievable. Like, there's one a couple of years ago where um, he, he sent a message to the guy who sort of runs the indoor school at eight o'clock in the morning and said, can you open the indoor school? And the guy was like, well, yeah, I can, but like, I'm not in work. It's eight o'clock in the morning. He's like, you have to get security to this. Apparently security came around and opened the thing. He hit balls for about an hour and a half in the indoor school and then drove half an hour to go and play in a second team game because it was just before he could play in the first team game because he just flew in. Um, and he went and got like double hundred and twos that day after hitting for like an hour and a half in the morning. And it's just like, just like, wow, you know. And then in some ways, you know, obviously everyone's different, but for some people, that's how they get to being the best, one of the best in the world. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much he is in the net. So from everything I've heard, a heck of a lot. Yeah, I've also heard some similar <laughs> things down the down the grapevine from Glamorgan players. But again, it's dedication, isn't it, to the craft? And Marnus has that. He's one of the most passionate cricket badgers probably on the face of the earth, to be honest. And that's yeah. a great story. I haven't actually heard that one. So thanks for that tidbit of, of information, Will. That's a very, very nice story. And yeah, I wonder if the security will be needed at 8 o'clock this morning, as and when that is announced. I think he has been announced that he's coming back, hasn't he? So yeah, I, I think pretty sure he's he's signed on. I think yeah. he, as far as I'm aware, he was signed for two years when he re-signed. So last year was one of those years, and I think next year's another one. So I'm not I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I'm pretty I mean, I think everyone at Glamorgan is probably quite hopeful he's coming back. That would be my guess. I'd, yeah. <laughs> well it helps, doesn't it? Someone of his calibre, his quality is standard, obviously. It's going to help the lads and yeah, Monoslav Shane, what a player. And again, what a story. What a story he's had from that time yeah. spent with Glamorgan, coming on in the ashes as a concussion substitute and now look at him in the World Cup squad, one of the finest yeah. test cricketers on the planet. Just goes to show, doesn't it, the value of, of domestic cricket and performing in the county circuit. And that actually brings me quite nicely, Will, onto my final question for today's episode. And it does, of course, revolve around the future because we spoke right at the start of the podcast about the fact that the season is fast approaching. Even though it's only November, once the new year hits, all of a sudden it's January, it's February, March, April, and then the season starts. So it's not actually that far away when you think about it like that. But in terms of the future, what do you want to achieve 
both in the near future, so in the summer of 2024, and of course in the years beyond, because Glamorgan in recent years, I think the big thing has been pushing for promotion from the second division. So Glamorgan have not been in the first division of the championship since 2005, but they have had success in the One Day Cup, as we saw in 2021. So for you personally, from both an individual and a team perspective, what are you hoping to achieve in a Glamorgan shirt heading into the summer of 2024 and the years beyond? Um, yeah, I think obviously as a club, we've there's quite a lot of change going on at the minute. Um, new head coaches and, and things like that, which um, is obviously, well, come next year will be exciting. Um, and 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 we'll see how we progress after that um i think this year obviously the boys got quite close we were quite close in the promotion hunt and i know we always talk about we, we think back to a couple of games that like we needed one wicket to win a game against sussex at home earlier in the year and there are a couple of other moments and obviously the game up at new road against worcester was sort of the one that swayed us somewhat out of the race and um yeah, I think it's obviously quite disappointing for the boys, especially the last couple of years. They've been really close. So I think there's definitely something like being built. Um, and in general, I'd say we're, we're a fairly young squad. So there's plenty of excitement around, you know, what, what can happen. And absolutely, you're spot on. You know, the desire to be in Division One is like, you know, it's burning really strong at the club. That's what everyone really wants. We all want to be playing in Division One. And, um, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty high priority again next year. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I'd obviously, I think the the biggest one at present would probably from a, from an own personal um, aspiration is 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 find myself in that in that T Twenty Blast squad come that first game when when that rolls around in probably May, I think. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's like the main one. But my aspiration to play first class cricket is is huge, and um, that's that's a massive dream of mine. I'd love to make my first class debut next year, um, and 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 contribute to to trying to get the club promoted. Um, it's you know it's not going to be easy at all. Obviously, with a couple of strong sides coming down from Division One as well, sort of makes it a little bit tougher. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've got, we've got the tools to, to get our way up into division one. It's just, it's just those small moments, little moments that we probably missed out on this year. Um, like I touched upon, you know, a session or two in that Worcestershire game, um, a one wicket sort of situation in the Sussex game and things like that, um, probably cost us a little bit. Um, obviously Durham were sort of high flyers in division two and were exceptional. So probably became a little bit more difficult as well, only competing for one of those spots. Um, maybe next year then, you know, might be two of those spots available that, that a team won't run away with it so early. So um yeah, that's sort of that's sort of I don't know, I feel like I've talked about the team aspirations a lot there, not necessarily mine, but uh, uh, probably a more realistic one is to try and make sure I'm in that T twenty blast side come the first game. A more um wishful one would be wanting to make my championship debut as early in the season as possible really um it's definitely a goal of mine so yeah
Well, Will, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counts Cricket Podcast are wishing both yourself and Glamorgan all the best of luck heading into the summer of 2024 and beyond. As you said, it is a very interesting time at the club with the new head coach and so much young blood of which you're a part of, but there's the likes of Zainal Hassan, Kieran Carlson, isn't exactly a veteran of county cricket just yet. He's still in his, his mid-twenties. Then you've got the newcomers, yeah. likes of Asa Tribe and Henry Hurl as well. So there's plenty of fresh blood in the Glamorgan ranks. And when you do combine that with the experienced cricketers, the likes of James Harris, the likes of Marnus Labashain, Michael Nisa, Colin Ingram, guys like that, and Chris Cook, of course, who's just a stalwart of the Welsh outfits, there is the makings of a very potent team at Glamorgan's disposal, but it's just a case of winning those key moments and taking advantage in those big games. And that's something which I suppose we'll just have to wait and find out in the summer of 2024. Only time will tell, but obviously, mate, wishing yourself all the best of luck. And it's been really good, to be honest, to see you finally reach this dream after all of the years of hard work, the sacrifice, the dedication to this sport. It's nice to see a story like this vindicated with a Glamorgan debut and, of course, a brand new contract. So I think it goes out saying, mate, but yeah, we're rooting for you heading into next summer and, of course, the years that follow. But, well, all that's left for me to say is a massive thank you for coming on to today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. Just looking at the time, that's absolutely flown by. We've been talking for <laughs> over 75 minutes. I've just had a look at the clock. So thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the platform and to have this chat about county cricket today but sorry yeah thanks i've loved it it's been great i mean I, if anyone who knows me i actually love talking about cricket probably too much so um yeah it's been brilliant I've loved it and thanks guys yeah um hopefully hopefully my performances are all right and glamorgan's performances are all right and yeah it's been great to chat absolutely likewise will and just before we do say our final goodbyes for the episode do you have anything to plug or promote any social media channels websites businesses Anything like that? Uh, my social medias are, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I think my Instagram is at Smaleo1 and my Twitter is at Smaleo2, I think. Um, but apart from that, no, I'm no businesses to promote, actually. <laughs> no one ever seems to have any businesses. I'm not entirely sure why I keep on mentioning it towards the end of the podcast, but there we go. It's just a case I of... I don't know. A few of the more... A few of the more uh, few of the more savvy guys probably probably do that um yeah there's there's a couple of strong ones flying around at Glamorgan so yeah there certainly are but of course in your case then we'll we'll leave the links to those social media channels in the podcast description below so folks if you want to go and follow Will on either Instagram or Twitter you can find the links to those in the podcast description below but that is it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.